0: series on 1 Corinthians. And um, this morning we got some really cool stuff. Um, We got some really cool stuff for us this morning here. So let's look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now concerning food offered to idols. This is kind of signaling, this is kind of signaling basically another round of what the, the church in Corinth, what the church in Corinth might be Um, struggling with. We had heard in chapter seven, he used that same phrase, now concerning the matters which you wrote. And then in chapter eight, he says this again like this, now concerning food offered to idols. So the church in Corinth is struggling with this issue of food being offered to idols. That's kind of what I'm trying to say. And now we're gonna hear Paul respond. Now concerning food offered to idols. But some, through former association with idols, actually eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is actually defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do eat. But take care, uh, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's, um, let's say a prayer for this time that we would, you know, our, our prayer posture for this moment, typically we pray before the message is, Lord, I want, I want, um, I, I, I don't want to hear Seth I want to hear you, God, so open up my heart to hear that. The prayer is, God, help me to try to let Christ become clearer. So all those prayers, let's just pray about that right now, okay? Lord, we come, and uh, we pray for this moment, these next few minutes together, that you, Jesus, that we would hear from you, from your word. Help us to hear from you, not a word less and not a word more than what, Lord, you've put on my heart to share this morning. God, where where I would say things that aren't right or where, I pray that those things would be either not said, that you'd steer me in such a way, or that you'd help us to just not even hear it. But God, where you want to say something to our very souls, oh, great shepherd, help us to hear your voice this morning. What an incredible opportunity to hear from you. What an incredible opportunity and privilege to get to share your word. Come now and do the work, Holy Spirit, that only you can do, please. Please come now and do that, in Jesus' name, amen. Today's message is really simple. It's actually one of the simplest breakdowns of a message you can break down. It's, what's the problem then? What's the problem now? What's the solution then? What's the solution now? And you can imagine there'll be a lot of overlap. So what's the problem then? What's the problem for the church in Corinth that they're struggling with? Well, the scripture tells us there's something about food being offered to idols and what, what we're supposed to do about that. And there's some specific situations that kind of come out uh, that are directly, they're struggling with. Food that's been offered to idols. We learn about this in chapter 10, verse 25. So two chapters later, Paul picks up this food to idols thing again. And the situation is kind of like this. There were temples to pagan gods in Corinth. And what they would do is they would come to these temples, the, the folks that are, 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 are pagans, and they would make sacrifices of, let's say, a cow or a sheep or a whatever, okay? They would, they would kill these animals and offer these sacrifices up to the gods. But then the question was kind of like, well, what can we do with some of the meat Maybe we could sell it, make some money. So they would sell it in some of the marketplaces in, right, right there next to the temples. And people would come and they would buy that meat to eat for their families. But the question was always, was this food offered to an idol at some point? Was it offered in sacrifice, this cow or this sheep? And what do we do about that? Another situation that came up, was eating at the temple. This comes up in verse 10. Paul kind of alludes to this when he responds. And and here's what was going on with this particular situation. There, There was these temples, yes, But these temples were also places, they had kind of different levels to them. There were places where there was sacrifices being offered, yes. But also sometimes with these temples, there was in connection with the temple, kind of these courtyards and and places where people would congregate and meet. And where they would eat, you might call it just kind of a restaurant-like feel to it. And, and, and literally the society, the culture would use those places for maybe birthdays or weddings or parties and social gatherings. So the question that the church in Corinth was wondering about is, as, as Christians, should we be in those places eating food and socializing and connecting? this was a real struggle because you know some of your some of your maybe higher class christians were usually using some of these places as like networking places it's kind of the golf course right that we would maybe think of as the golf course today but they were connected to these temples so what are we supposed to do about that another specific example that comes up in chapter 10 is uh rituals that are actually taking place. So there, was, there were moments where maybe you'd be at a birthday party and somebody would hold up a glass of, 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 a cup of some kind and say, we wanna honor, you know, the great God, whatever. And so what are we supposed to do now? And is there a difference when I'm at a party and we're not acknowledging a false God and I'm at a party and I am, you know, toasting some false God. What am I supposed to do then about a party like that? Am I supposed to participate in rituals? Uh, chapter 10, I'm, I'm, I'm moving to 10 because there's a bit of a connection here as well because he picks up on this. But he asks the question in chapter 10, verse 27, what about eating with non-believers? So what if I go to some unbeliever's house and they put a steak in front of me and in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I know where they probably bought this steak. They probably bought it from the market. And in the market, it's right next to that temple. And that temple, they were worshiping. They, you know, they, they offered this cow up in sacrifice to some pagan god. Now, what am I supposed to do? Should I eat that meat when I'm at an unbeliever's house? I don't want to ruin my witness or testimony. And then the last specific situation that they were struggling with is, uh, what about going to a unbeliever's house and they put the stake in front of me and they say this stake was offered up to some pagan god. Is there a difference then? These were the specific situations that they were wondering about and there were people on different sides of it. Okay? Okay. There were those who were struggling because they knew there was no real false God. And so they would look at the temples and they'd be like, well, it's just a temple. We know there's no real God there. It's an idol. Maybe there's even demonic stuff involved, but we know that there's, it's not God. God. So there were some that were like, it's not a big deal to go and, and, and eat that meat. We, we know it's not a big deal to go to that party or that unbeliever's house. There were those who knew that part of their social structure was set up where if they didn't do that, it would really hurt, impact maybe their business, maybe their social life. I've got to be able to go to that restaurant and make those connections So there were some on that particular end. And then you can imagine there were those who used to go to the temple, offer the sacrifices to these false gods, maybe sleep with prostitutes in some kind of spiritual connection kind of way, offering up sacrifice to false gods. They now become Christians and realize, man, that was not okay. Now we serve Jesus and Jesus alone. And they want to get as far away as they can from those temples. They don't want to have anything to do with that anymore. And now you take both of those kind of people and put them in the same church, and they're trying to figure that out. That's the specifics of what Paul is now addressing in this particular text. So my question is something like this. Where is the problem now that's similar to that? And there's kind of two ways to think about this. One is some specific connections, direct connections, and some might be more general. We've got to just kind of open up our minds to think about it a little bit deeper. So let me just throw out a couple maybe direct connections. There are places in the world where idolatry is happening in the way that you'd classically think about idolatry. Now, idol worship can be—you can worship anything, any any anything where where you get your ultimate sense of value or worth. Anything in your life that, if it was taken away from you, would cut you to your core, that can be an idol. But I'm saying in the world, there's places where where people are you know experiencing kind of your classic way of thinking about bowing down to an idol of sorts or establishing a temple in the home, maybe South America, places of Africa and India. And missionaries in some of these places really struggle with these very specific situations. You can imagine somebody setting up a home altar to a false god. Now they become a Christian. What are they supposed to do with that altar? Are they supposed to wipe clean the you know top and put a cross up there instead and I'm gonna now worship the one true God? Or are they to take the whole altar and throw it completely out of the house? How are they supposed to work that and think about that? Uh, prayers and rituals that maybe you used to experience when you served uh, false gods or, or multiple gods of sorts, Am I supposed to still be engaged with some of those rituals or experiences anymore now that I'm a Christian? You can imagine something like yoga, you know? Many of you do yoga and you don't think of it in any spiritual connection. You simply think of it as breathing or maybe dying. Maybe it's dying. Some of you do yoga and you're dying. Uh, but you, you don't think of it in any way other than breathing and trying to become flexible, right? And then there's places in the world where there's a spiritual connection to yoga. And so there's this kind of like, I don't want to have anything to do with yoga because you've experienced the spiritual side maybe in some other place. I know of people like that, that want to have nothing to do with yoga. Fair enough. I remember when I was in India, one of the most powerful baptisms we got to experience was this young lady. Because in India, one, you need to actually, a, it's the law that they, you would actually get a, a, a certificate from the government that you even can baptize. So a lot of baptisms are illegal. Um, on top of that, once you get baptized, you enter a new status of what that really means for you in your kind of social life. It changes. It changes. But I remember experiencing a baptism with a young lady who entered the water, the tub of baptism, and she took off her little bindi, a little dot on her forehead. Now, the reality is, is that little dot doesn't necessarily mean anything. Once you become a Christian, you recognize there's no power there necessarily. But for her, taking the dot off and throwing it on the ground and entering into the waters of baptism was a big deal. So if if some of us put a little dot on our forehead, is that terrible? Is that bad? Uh, You can actually, there's some who see the little dot, not in any spiritual way, but only as a, maybe a, some other way. Okay. So those are maybe some direct ways of thinking about some of the same struggles that the church in Corinth was experiencing at that time. So maybe more general ways of thinking about this. Now I'm expanding our thinking a little bit. Uh, where are there things in my life that I am free in, where I am completely okay in engaging with? The scriptures don't tell me it's wrong. So there's freedom in these things. But where... They might not be, though, necessarily the best idea in every situation. Where might there be freedom for me, and yet maybe not always the best idea? Whether it be for myself, which is really what chapter 10 will start to pull out, but chapters 8 and 9, where it might not be the best idea for my brother or my sister my neighbor, for someone else. You can imagine, as I was trying to build my list out, things like alcohol, certain movies we watch. Is it okay to watch a PG-13 movie? How about a rated R movie? What about when it's a rated R movie of this genre versus an R rated movie of this genre? Is it okay to go to certain hangout spots? What does it look like to go to a bar, or a club, or a pool hall? Tattoos? Can we get them, can we not? What do we do about that? Video games that we play, shooting guns? Is that okay? Could that potentially be offensive to somebody else? What do we do about some of these things that maybe are are in some ways a little bit of some gray areas where there's freedom, but my freedom begins to impact my decisions of how I engage those particular freedoms, impact other people, especially my brother or sister in Christ. So some direct connections especially we see on the mission field, maybe some that we experience in our own lives, but definitely some general connections can be made to chapter eight here of 1 Corinthians as well. So how do, what is the solution then? And if you're following along, you're gonna see the solution is gonna be the same for us today. Here's the solution then. Verse one. Knowledge, there is a knowledge that puffs up, but what I'm looking for, Paul says, is love that builds up. A love that builds up. That's what I'm after, Paul is saying here. He says that in verse 1. Love that builds up. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 9. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Pay attention to those within the body who might be weak and be careful to use your freedom without keeping in mind how it might be impacting somebody else. Verse 12 says this, thus you can actually sin against your brother And wound their conscience when it is weak. And in doing this, you're actually sinning against Christ himself. So this is very serious. I know we can come off a little bit like, eh, poo, -poo poo pooey, pooey, pooey. But but we've got to be careful with that because here he, he shows us how deep this could go. To sin against Jesus himself. So what's the solution? Love that builds up. And recognizing, follow me on this, you might have the right answer, knowledge, but if the right answer doesn't have love flowing from it, it's not the right answer. Have you ever known people who are so right, they're wrong? You know what I'm saying? That there's such a rightness. They are right. They have the knowledge. They have, fit, But their rightness doesn't have love. And so therefore it becomes wrong. You might know in your heart that eating at the temple is not a big deal. You know that it's not a big deal to go and socialize with some folks at the temple outside in the court, not a big deal. I can eat the meat, chew all day long. But if you're not thinking about, the reality is, is as I'm eating the meat at the temple, knowing that it's not that big of a deal, I have to consider my impact on the other. How am I and my actions impacting the, the people around me who might be seeing me. And I can't just say, well, you don't know the right answer. I have the right answer. My Having the right answer has to flow out of that right answer, knowledge, love for you and considering where you are. Paul will go so far as to say, which this, man, this grinds at my very soul. If food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. I'll never even eat it. You know, we kind of joke. It's obviously a little bit funny in its own kind of way. But is that at the very heart deepest spot, is that true for you? that if truly that was to be part of the equation, which I'm not sure meat is the struggle that we're saying today. I think it's some of our maybe direct connections I made earlier problem now on the mission field or some of our more general stuff that we'd maybe connect with today. But the reality is, is am I willing to lay my right down for the sake of the other is something that I have to consider. Love flowing from faith. That's the answer. Love flowing from faith. I, I got this little, um, I asked uh, Michael and Theo, they bring me this little, um, I don't know what you call this thing, waterfall thing from their house that I saw the other day. This is not the picture that Paul has in mind. The picture that Paul has in mind. Right? Is this. That's the picture of faith. Love flowing from faith. Not just sitting. Not just faith like that. See it goes back to chapter 2, verse 2. and This was the series. I told you what the answer was through the whole series. The whole series answer is chapter 2, verse 2 says this. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The world looks at the cross and sees foolishness. Chapter 1, verse 18. But the word of the cross for the Christian is the power of God. What is that doing? Life under the cross is recognizing that what God did for you was lay himself down for you. He gave his life and died for you, to save you, to forgive you, to to make peace again with God for you. And so, I got a couple little math problems here. If you're a math person, you're gonna love this. Faith in Jesus equals justification. This is Romans chapter five. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus is what saves you. Faith minus love equals not faith. James says it like this. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That makes me think, faith minus, and this is kind of the the real, kind of heart of the chapter, faith minus love equals hurt my neighbor. But when, and this is my last one, when faith has love, Flowing from it, our little dripping thing over here, when, f- yeah, let's not maybe call that a waterfall. Trickle, that's a good word where trickle as can be used. Faith with love flowing from it equals, and this is interesting, isn't this interesting? It actually equals helping my neighbor. It's not about getting so I can be better, you know, get a little closer to God. No. It's love at that point is about my neighbor and having them in my mind. See, this is why love, this is why if you're an atheist or you're agnostic or you're a skeptic, I would love to sit and talk to you because I would argue there's no other worldview that that you can have where love is not at some level self-serving other than the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview is the only worldview where love can truly be only completely for the sake of the other. Are you following that? That's a little deep there. But maybe, I mean, that's the challenge at least. I'd throw that out there. Every other way of thinking about love will be in some way somehow connected back to you. But see, the Christian knows that by faith, I'm justified. I'm at peace with God, so I don't have to love my neighbor so that I get God to love me more. I can love them simply for their own sake. That's massive. So when faith has love, flowing out of it that's true faith that's what the whole book of james is about <clears throat> faith flowing from it love is this chapter 1 verse 1 this knowledge this faith this understanding that the that the I can eat in the temple. I can go and eat meat. I can do these things. Yup, 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 yup. But I have to consider the impact it's having on the other. I mean, a real practical example of this might be uh, my Monday night Bible study. We, we always, I always promise free beer. When new folks come, we try I'm sometimes guilty of maybe not doing this, but we tried to have the conversation with somebody. Hey, does that bother you or not? If that bothers you, then as a group, we've decided we would just lay that right down for the sake of the other. I don't have to drink a beer on Monday nights. Not at all. Paul says If you eat the meat, doesn't help you any more, than if you don't eat the meat, doesn't help you any less. But that's not the real issue. The real issue is connecting and thinking through the impact my decisions have on the other people. So what's the answer and solution today? The solution is love flowing from faith. I'm willing to lay down alcohol, yoga, showing tattoos, Going to certain movies, what? you having the little Indian bindi on my forehead? I'll lay that one down for the sake of y'all, I guess. I'll put that one down for you. What a big sacrifice. Now, but I, I don't know exactly. It might be in different situations. My prayer is that maybe something gets stirred up in you, and, and then ask this question of yourself am I in any way being a stumbling block to the people around me? Because if I am causing somebody else to stumble, then even where the thing is fine, if I do it on my own, I should be willing to lay that down for the sake of that person. Am I causing to stumble by engaging what I'm freed to walk in typically. That's what I want you to wrestle with. But I want you to remember that all of this is in the context of life under the cross. You and I, you and I are living under the cross and our connection to what Jesus has done connects us not only to his death, but also to his resurrection and the new life that is ours in Christ Jesus. And that new life is one of love that goes on for all of eternity. We're going to hear this in chapter 13 when Paul unpacks in 1 Corinthians this incredible chapter on love. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why is that? Because it goes on forever. And eternally, love will be the... It will always in heaven someday will all it will look like this flowing overflowing to the people around us so paul is just starting to tease out now what love and how important it really is, and he's going to continue to drive towards that as we move our way to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we hear all sorts of stuff about how important love is and what really love is. And ultimately, it will always be defined by the God-man who's hanging on a cross for the sins of the whole world, saving us, laying himself down for you and for me. Wow. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Let that, let that stir you up to the kind of love that only comes with that in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the love that you've taught us about or you're teaching us about. Lord, forgive us for where we have been self-centered, where we have been so right and know that we have freedom in this thing so much so that we've somehow become wrong because there's no love connected with it please forgive us for those moments where we've done that. Please open our eyes and our hearts to where we might be doing that, impacting the people around us, Lord. Lord, we want to be a church that's discipling people. We want to be a church that's helping move people to grow them in their relationship with you. We also know that even from this text today, we know that we can actually have a negative impact on people's faith. And I pray that one, you'd protect us from that, but also show us where we might be having a negative impact on the people around us and we don't even see it. Show us those spots in our life, Lord. Reveal those places so that we can quickly lay those things down for the sake of the other, for the sake of our neighbors, for the sake of our family. Show us those places right now, God. It's going to have to come through your Holy Spirit revealing that to us. Reveal it to us and then give us the strength to take a step in the direction of laying that freedom down. Lord Jesus, thank you for the forgiveness that you have given to us. Thank you for dying for us and showing us what really laying laying it all down for the sake of others really looks like. Thank you for being the perfect example. Thank you, not only being an example, but being the perfect demonstration of of reality for us of that true love. Let that so shape us that we would walk out of here changed and molded by your word today. Please God, do that.